This episode of the Critical Condition Sports Podcast is brought to you by Bonnie G Realtor. If you're in the San Antonio and the Rio Grande Valley area and you need a buy, sell, or help investing, Bonnie G is the girl for you. Bonnie G has actually been helping out multiple different people, both in the San Antonio and Rio Grande Valley area, and helping them with their home needs. If you need a contractor, please go on Facebook and Instagram at Bonnie G Realtor to get your free consultation. If you also need another way to reach her and you don't have social media, you can go ahead and reach her at 956-579-7093. Once again, that's 956-579-7093. All right, everybody, welcome to the Critical Condition Sports Podcast. My name is Jose Matos, and I'm here to bring you just another exciting episode today. We have a great show for you today on this beautiful Thursday. Mike Bond and is going to be joining me on the show in about 10 minutes. Mike Bond is actually the senior writer for MMA Junkie, and the UFC is going to be having their Fight Island 3 edition starting this Saturday, headlined by Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater on ESPN and ABC. So it's going to be a very, very exciting time. Very luck, lucky and thankful that we were able to get Mike Bond, who's such a busy guy. And, you know, one thing I'll say, you know, before we get into all this, Mike Bond, as nice as a, a guy that, you know, is around the MMA business and, you know, is a very successful journalist, very busy guy. You know, we had some, we got to talk a little bit and it was a little tough, you know, trying to, get this interview going just because he was actually flying uh, to Abu Dhabi when we were trying to set this up. Uh, we were luckily we were both able to make this work with, uh, you know, the time zone difference. I believe it's like a 10 hour difference in the, in the time zone areas from when we were both talking. So luckily we were able to do this. Uh, you know, Mike Bond, thank you so much for coming on the show. Nice guy. And we're able to break down the fights for fight Island. That'll be coming up to you in about 10 minutes from now. First, before we get go any further, I just want to give you all my daily plug and please follow Critical Condition Sports on Instagram at Critical Condition Sports and on Twitter at Condition Talk. If you're looking for that extra sports content or you want another version of this podcast, that'll be available on YouTube as well. All you got to do is go on YouTube and search Critical Condition Sports. All those accounts will be linked in the description below. If you want to check out that YouTube page, though, I have multiple different uh, kinds of content that go into all that. I give you pretty much daily hot takes when it comes to, you know, the world of sports, whether it's NFL, NBA, mixed martial arts. I give you quick different hot takes. Right now I'm reviewing the playoffs. I have my AFC and NFC breakdown coming on with, coming out on YouTube within the next couple of days. And I actually posted my very first TV show review on Cobra Kai season three. That's available on YouTube. Again, all that is going to be linked in the description below. So let's get started. So, shocker. Yesterday, Wednesday, we get a blockbuster trade with James Harden officially going to the Brooklyn Nets. The Houston Rockets finally traded that disgruntled superstar that they had. And for Houston, I believe it's a good thing they're able to close the chapter. A lot of people are over here talking and saying, you know, Nets should be heralded as championship favorites. The big three. Kevin Durant really wants him there. It's going to mesh really well. What? Going to give you the take starting off with this right now. Um, I don't think it's going to work out in Brooklyn. I really don't. I don't see this team going to the NBA Finals at all, to be quite honest with you. When I think of James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, it's an amazing movie, movie uh, poster. It is. Can sell you tickets, for sure. I don't know about right now with COVID, but it'll sell tickets. You know what I mean. And looking at this, 
I just don't don't see it mesh well. The way I view this James Harden trade is the way I viewed the Clippers trade for Paul George last season. This is my view, and it's you have a solid team, albeit with whatever issues you have with Kyrie Irving, but you're gonna mortgage in the way to fix things and the way that you think to take the next step in trying to get yourself a championship is to trade your future away for a superstar that's known to not be able to win when it matters. Albeit never been to an NBA finals or even winning the games that you need to get in position to be in the NBA finals. Sure. I know they came close to beating the Golden State Warriors a few years back, but regardless, I mean, he choked. And you can go back to the series and see how he choked twice. So the way I view this, and no disrespect, I know James Harden can ball. He can put up numbers. But is he the solution? Is he the thing that really brings you over the top to take the next step and be able to put your team in prime position away to championship? I don't think so. I really don't. I don't I don't think he's a leader. If anything, that's something that he's proven already. He's not a leader. He can't carry a team. A lot of people can't carry teams, though. There's nothing wrong with that. But he can't really work as a leader, and he's not a good person to really play with when you look at a lot of disgruntled teammates that he's had. John Walls call him out. You know, Chris Pauls called him out. Uh, him and Russell Westbrook weren't able to work, and they were the best of friends. So, you know, if it happens, I've always believed that if it happens once, okay, it happens. Twice is a coincidence. Three, you know, it's behavior. And this is behavior. This is who James Harden is. I think that everyone needs to really pump the brakes when they're trying to, you know, have high expectations of Brooklyn Nets. I feel like this hurts them. The only thing that Brooklyn is winning right now when it comes to the NBA is being able to to lead the NBA in headlines. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that's very interesting. I don't think that puts you over the top. Again, Paul George, in my opinion, was a player that can't win when it matters. Phenomenal regular season stats for sure but doesn't really put your team over the top and shrinks in big moments. That's the way I view James Harden. And that's why I don't think that the Brooklyn Nets will make it to the NBA finals, much less win a championship this season. That That's my view. And I mean, I, I don't, again, you know, if it happens once, it's, you know, luck, it happens twice, coincidence. Three is just behavior. And this is what James is. He gets under people's skins. He can't work with a lot with everyone. Um, you know, teammates have issues with him. Uh, doesn't really want to put in the work, and we've seen that already. I'm not just making the, these things up. It, I mean, it's just it's just who he is, and you can't change the person. You can change his behaviors, but you can't change the person. That's my view on that. Let me shift to this. So the Philadelphia Eagles fired Doug Peterson, their head coach. And ironically, I was talking about this on YouTube, actually, where I have a video posted up under the Critical Edition Sports tab last week where I addressed the problem in Philly. I think the problem was Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, along with Carson Wentz, you know, well, Carson Wentz has really gotten a bad rap this season. And, you know, I understand he, he played terrible. He really did. And it's been, it's been a little bit sloppy. And the way that game ended against the Washington football team that Sunday night didn't really do him any favors. And obviously he got heavily criticized. I understand. I understand that. And rightfully so, of course, you know, you're trying to win the game and obviously you hurt the relationship with uh, Carson Wentz. Then you start hurting the relationship with Jalen Hurts. And it's not really doing you any favors when it comes to that, really. And it's been nothing short of a train wreck, in my opinion. Now, looking at the Philadelphia Eagles, 
I thought that Doug Peterson has been a big issue just because of the fact that when you look at what happened to this team after Frank Frank Reich's left, Carson Wentz play has taken a dip. The Eagles in general have taken a dip. We've what we talked about, uh, you know, for the last couple of years in the NFL, and it's really really been reiterated. Coaching matters. Coaching matters in sports. But it, right now, we're talking about the NFL, and we've seen it be such a huge thing for a team. Look at the Browns this season. Last, last, last year, they had a joke for a head coach in Freddie Kitchens, which people couldn't understand the hire. This year, they have Stefanski, and I'm not sure Stefanski is such a phenomenal coach, but I at least know he's not dumb. He can look at the glaring needs of a team and was able to address issues that everyone in sports was talking about last season. So coaching matters. Stefanski was able to turn that team around and he's really changed the culture. As far as Doug Peterson, are we sure that the mastermind between the offense wasn't, are we like fully sure that it wasn't just a Frank Reich? Because ever since Frank Reich left, so before Frank Reich, you know, the Eagles were 20 and 12. After Frank Reich left, he became the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. They're doing great stuff over there. They, the Eagles have been 22, 25, and 1. And Carson Wentz's production has really dipped out, especially this season. It was really obvious, you know, Carson Wentz is completing 50, completed 50% of his passes this season. It's ridiculous. He has 3 and 1, 16 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. His, his play has really taken a huge dip. And now part of it, I think, is a mental thing. But as a head coach, you're supposed to be able to address and help your quarterback and stabilize situations. Obviously, we've heard that the relationship between both, you know, Wentz and Peterson has taken a dip. And I talked to everybody about this and I told them that, hey, the real issue is Peterson. Obviously, you see how he handled the game that Sunday night football. And we've seen how he's handled this Carson Wentz situation. Carson Wentz has declined since Frank Light right left. And I don't think this is, that's a coincidence. I don't. Do I believe it was the right thing to fire him? Debatable, hard, and I feel like it sends a wrong message because of the fact that, you know, Peterson did have a winning record. You're talking about giving your franchise its only Super Bowl championship plus then winning the division two years ago, and you have an offseason. I get it. It happens. And I understand that I just highlighted the issues with Peterson with Frank Reich leaving. I understand that. But on paper, do I really think it was the right decision? I don't think so. Just because of the fact that you're sending a really bad message to whatever head coaching candidate you interview and tries to come in ultimately to get the job because of the fact that, hey, a few years back, you won a Super Bowl, and then you won your division last year at 11-5, and five, and now you have a down year, and the guy gets fired? Like, what's the standard here? You know, what's the minimum? What really is uh, okay with, you know, when it comes to this organization? I do understand the Philly crowd and, you know, Philadelphia media is rough. I do understand that. And there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of pressure to, that comes with playing in that organization. Obviously, Howie Roseman also, also rumors are going around that, you know, he's a control freak and that's and, you know, sticks to his guns and it's really impossible to work with at times. So do I think that it was the right decision to fire Peterson? I don't. I would have given him another year. Just being honest with you. Whatever happens with the quarterback, obviously, that would that would have been up to him. But I would have given him another year. Uh, I feel like this Eagles job, believe it or not, is out of like the seven head coaching vacancies. It's probably the sixth attractive, attractive, most attractive job. Six. That's like, you know, second to last. 
you know, I, I debated it. You could debate it being the least attractive one, but regardless, it, I think the Eagles are in a tough position and I think they really got to nail, you know, their next head coach and, and be able to work something out in that organization because it, it's not looking good right now. So now going into the next thing, as I segue to my interview with Mike Bond, I just want to remind everybody that I have NFC and AFC wild card, uh, actually divisional playoff round, excuse me, come previews going out uh, this Thursday, today, later on today. I'll be going out at 8 p.m. Uh, Central Time, and I'm going to have my NFC breakdown. So I have an AFC coming out, breakdown coming out on Thursday, and I have an NFC breakdown coming out on Friday. So both of those will be out on YouTube, where I'm going to break down the divisional round of the playoff games, give you my predictions on YouTube on there. And tomorrow, actually, I have a very special episode. I have Carolina Teague from the Sports Dime from San Antonio uh, Radio on 9.30 a.m. coming onto the show tomorrow to break down and give you a more in-depth look at the NFC and AFC uh, playoff picture when it comes to the divisional round. Uh, Carolina is fantastic, and she definitely has a lot of sports knowledge and is able to showcase that. So today, right now, you know, got an interview with Mike Brown, uh, with Mike Bond, I'm sorry, from MMA Junkie, and I have Carolina Teague tomorrow. So two straight jam-packed episodes also, if you want to go ahead and check out the Critical Condition Sports uh, Instagram page, where I'm actually going to be doing a giveaway to kick off UFC Fight Island number three edition. So go ahead and feel free to check that out. Now, though, let's get to that interview with Mike Bond. My next guest, he is the senior writer for MMA Junkie. He's actually joining me live via Zoom because he's in Abu Dhabi right now covering the UFC's Fight Island edition. Please welcome onto the show, Mr. Mike Bond. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good, man. Just uh, at the tail end of this mandatory 48-hour quarantine. I've done my two COVID tests, passed the first one. I assume I'm going to pass the second one, but just waiting for the results in the next couple hours here. And then we can actually get out of the hotel room and start to actually cover these fight weeks. So I'm pretty excited at this particular moment. How was the flight uh, over there? Long, man. It was like 15 and a half hours, I think. We got delayed about an hour and a half, too. So, yeah, it was a long journey, but thankfully, you know, I had some space on the plane, was able to watch some movies and stuff. Food was decent, so can't complain too much. Awesome. Uh, can you go ahead and let uh, my audience know, Mike, uh, what you do? So, yeah, I'm the uh, senior reporter at MMA Junkie USA Today. Uh, you know, I do obviously a lot of writing, interviews, social media for MMA Junkie, kind of have my hand in all the pots of the stuff that goes over there to a degree, some editing and stuff as well. So yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in the MMA game, about 10 years since I really started. And it was the seven year anniversary at USA Today and MMA Junkie this past August. So yeah, the time absolutely flies. It's crazy to think. I've been covering the sport for so long, but it's been a, a really fun journey. And, you know, even after all this time, you get new experiences like what I'm doing here in these next couple of weeks. For sure. It's a very unique situation. You know, you're, you know, flying, you know, across the world to cover some fights. And, you know, before you can even get out and do something, you're quarantined, you know, it's a, a crazy world that you've been, we've been in. Uh, how was your 2020? It was interesting, man. I mean, obviously, it was a, a bit of a challenge for everyone. Uh, we all kind of went through our own unique circumstances and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely a big year of change for me. Like I was covering UFC shows on the road, you know, one, two weeks out of every month, 
leading up to when, you know, Corona hit and everything kind of went on standstill. And then I didn't cover an event for, you know, nine months there. The last one I was at was UFC 248 in March. And this will be the first time I'm back on the ground for a fight card. So yeah, it was a lot of adjustment, figuring out how to cover the sport more so from home, figuring out interviews online, kind of similar to what we're doing here right now. And just a lot of change in figuring out how to still deliver high quality content to the audience. Um, so yeah, like on the work front, it was definitely a bit of a challenge, but I think in some ways it helped us address some of the things maybe we were lacking to a degree that we just didn't have really time to focus on in terms of, you know, just being so focused on the road and the weekly grind in that sense. So yeah, I mean, I can't, can't complain too much. Obviously, you know, it's not what we all wanted out of the past year, but I think given the circumstances, we made a pretty good do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 2020 was definitely, you know, the year for adapting and adjusting to situations. So that's uh, definitely a good thing because, you know, you find different ways to get things done, like what we're doing right now. So Absolutely. now uh, going into the UFC side of things, covering Fight Island, uh, three stacked cards, uh, fantastic main events all the way around. Uh, starting off with, you know, the January, Jan the January 16th fight with uh, Max Holloway and Calvin Cater. What are you looking forward to the most in that fight? Man, uh, that's a tough one. Just to see, I think, how Max rebounds. I mean, this is his first non-title fight since, I think, UFC 199 in 2016. So, uh, you know, he's kind of seen and done it all, but Max Holloway's still only 29 years old, if you yeah. can even believe that. It's insane. It feels like he's been around the game forever. So, for him, I mean, it's, it's a really important fight to see where he's at. I mean, a lot of people think he should be the champion right now. I personally thought... He won the second Volkanovski fight for sure. The first one was a little bit closer, but yeah, here he is now. Like you kind of look at the record. If he drops his fight to Calvin Cater, he's going to be one and four in his past five. If you look at the Dustin Poirier loss too at lightweight. So yeah. yeah, that's a spot that no matter what you think, who should have won, how close the fights were, et cetera, et cetera, the record speaks for itself. And it says there you have those four losses out of five fights on paper. And that's a challenging position for anyone to be in, no matter who you are. So this is a really, really, really important fight for Max Holloway. And then Calvin Cater, I mean, all for him, it's a big opportunity to show he's not just a surging contender. He is the contender. So I think uh, for Calvin Cater, it's what he's been working towards his entire career. For him, it's equivalent to a title fight. A lot of people think Max Holloway should still be featherweight champion. So a uh, big, big fight at 145. Really excited for it. For sure. Now, is it fair for me to say, Mike, that I think out of – people that are you know putting the spotlight when it comes to you know these next three fight cards that max holloway is dealing with the most amount of pressure when it comes to you know him needing a win this uh the, yeah. for these upcoming events yeah i think that's probably true i mean i think uh well i'm sure we'll get into it a bit here dustin poirier i think has a lot of pressure in a sense yeah. because i think he needs to win this fight just to you know not get that stigma that you always lose the big one or something like that but for max yeah i think uh in terms of if he wants that featherweight title back, this is really, really important for him. I do think Max has some options. He could go back to lightweight and maybe like take the six months to a year to put on the proper mass and like fully commit to that division, which I think he didn't get the opportunity for when he fought Poirier that came together within like, you know, a month or a month and a half or something like that. Couldn't get a real time frame to put the weight on. But yeah, I think that's a pretty apt analysis. I think Max Holloway, really needs to win this if he wants to be featherweight champion again anytime in the near future. Do you think it was wrong that he didn't get a third fight, though? 
regardless of how people view, you know, that kind of thing? No, I mean, I wouldn't say wrong. Like, I, the fact that he was even in the discussion to possibly get it, I think, speaks volumes to Max Holloway. Like, when guys, really, no matter the circumstances, when you lose to the champ, it's like you're screwed until maybe that guy loses the belt or you go on, like, an insane tear of winning, you know, six, seven, eight fights in a row. So, I think, ultimately, the right decision was made. I know Max is a beloved figure. He's, you know, I guy to me that's been very good to me with his time throughout his career so I would have liked to see him get that opportunity maybe just on like a personal level again but if you're looking at what's fair in the sport like that's not right for Alexander Volkanovsky like whatever you think about those decisions that guy deserves to a degree to move on and you know be a true champion and fight another contender and stuff like that and if they want to circle back in one fight then they can do that but I think it was ultimately fair to have Max fight someone else and give Volkanovski another fight which I presume will be Brian Ortega yeah definitely very excited uh for that upcoming matchup a co-main event for that evening will be uh Carlos Condit uh versus I believe I have it here Matt Brown Matt Brown actually so are you, what are you looking forward to in that one no, well, that's a fight that's been like long overdue. I think we've had For it like sure. two, canceled two or three times. Um, it, it'll be that one where I think we'll see them in the cage. Hopefully it delivers, but to a degree, it's like, you know, these guys are a little bit past their prime. Matt Brown's 40 years old now. Carlos Conn is 36. Mm-hmm. I wish we could have seen it when it was originally supposed to happen two, three years ago, because I think those guys have a little more to give now, but we've seen some of these fights before, like look at the Shogun and little Nog fight that we had a few months ago. Like those guys put on an absolute banger at their advanced age. So I think we could get something like that with Matt Brown and Carlos Condit. I think, uh, you know, it doesn't mean anything in terms of the top 15 rankings or the title picture or anything like that, but it's a, a good action fight between two of the greatest action fighters in UFC welterweight history. Matt Brown gets a knockout here. He ties Vitor Belfort's record for the most knockouts in UFC history with 12. So that's pretty crazy on his front. That's a big opportunity and a big, you know, historic achievement he could get there. Uh, Carlos Condit incredibly hard to knock out though, even during this downstretch he had. So yeah, I think it's, potential for performance of the night, fight of the night, one of those guys in there, and it'll just be, you know, a fun action fight despite not having the highest stakes or anything like that. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember uh, being, it was maybe about 10 years ago, and I remember seeing, uh, you know, Carlos Conde. It may have, may have not been, you know, that long, but I remember seeing him through his, like, WEC days, and yeah. the, the guy is such a killer, man. How could you not, you know, respect both of these guys, obviously. It's such – at least we're getting the fight. Uh, both of them are magnif- magnificent fighters. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a very, uh, it's gonna be a good one to watch. Very interesting. Is there a fight here that you could point uh, my audience to to pay attention to that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about here? Uh, on Jan 16, you feel? Yeah. Man, it's a, uh, those top two really have the interest. I think the quality falls off a little bit in terms of the overall, but the return of Santiago Ponzinibbio is a really curious one. Like that guy was on such a roll. If you remember his last fight, he knocked out Neil Magny pretty viciously. And we have Neil Magny here headlining the card yeah. on Wednesday against Michael Chiesa. So I think people have slept on him a little bit. Uh, obviously, you know, that's partially due to just his inactivity. It's been... I think almost two years or a year and a half or so since we've seen him in there. So yeah, I'm curious to see what he gives. Uh, Li Jingliang is always a fun fighter. The leech, I think that definitely has fight of the night potential too. And yeah, I mean, 
Ponzinibbio wins. He's on an eight-fight winning streak, tied with Leon Edwards for the second longest in the division behind Usman. So I think he's hoping, like, obviously inactivity took him out of the rankings. Yeah. And if he wins here, I'm sure he'll want to get right back in there and kind of get back to the place he was after beating Neil Magny. And that's looking at, like, a top-five fight that could potentially then lead into a title shot. And then, obviously, you have to uh, keep an eye out for Joaquin Buckley, too, the man who just came off the 2020 knockout of the year, one of the greatest you know, viral knockouts in UFC history. is fighting Alessio DiCirico, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, fun stuff there. Now, let me shift to this. The following card there, we got January 20th. Uh, you talked about Leon Edwards, obviously, what was, you know, a massive, massive, you know, main event that we we're going to have when it comes to just really like the hype and people's interest. Uh, you know, we lost Leon Edwards, such a bummer there. Uh, but we do have Michael Chiesa versus Neil Magny there. Now, very interesting fight, in my opinion. Uh, you know, both of these guys have been in a row. You know, they've both won, you know, uh, three fights in a row. Now, who do you think has the edge going into this fight between uh, Magny and Chiesa? Right now, I feel like I'm leaning a little towards Magny just because of the activity. Like, Michael Chiesa is coming off a full year away. It's going to be like a couple days shy of a complete one-year layoff by the time he gets in there. And Neil Magny, man, is just one of the grittiest guys in UFC history. Like, really tough to beat. Even if you do beat him, it's hard to look really impressive in doing so. Like, you're probably just going to screech by or maybe get, like, a late finish that comes via, like, an accumulation of damage or something like that. So, yeah, I think Michael Chiesa is, you know, in for a tough fight in his comeback here. Neil Magny, just never an easy out for anyone. I think... Michael Chiesa is a very, very, very high-level grappler, so I'm interested to see what the exchanges like are like on the mat between these two and what happens when they tie up in the clinch and stuff. But right now, I usually tend to lean towards the guy who's more active and has a little more momentum on his side. I know they're on the same winning streak on paper, but I think Neil Magny, you know, in terms of 2020, he gave us a lot more. He's coming off a bit more of a high, and I think that might pay dividends for him in the fight. Yeah, last fight he won was uh, against Robbie Lawler, so it was a good good win for him. I I think I'm leaning more towards uh, Magny just because you know things that you said. I think that Kiesa is going to have a tougher time trying to really get this fight down to the ground. I feel like you know Magny's such a strong guy, you know the guy is just is built, and I feel like uh, the change in the division has really helped him. And I you know I I I honestly I think it's going to be a dominant performance, you know, I, it's kind of hard for me to, you know, say that when it comes to that kind of, you know, that kind of a thing, but I think that, you know, the edge does go to Magni. Now let me shift to, to the next event there. It's probably the one that everyone's been talking about, you know, without a doubt it's McGregor versus Poirier, you know, need I say, need I say any, anymore when it comes to that McGregor, finally, you know, box office showtime. We're finally going to get some audience, you know, going into that event. I'm sure it's, it's going to, Still be crazy, even if it's with, you know, around 2,000 people. Dustin Poirier has a lot to prove in this fight. And look, real quick, a lot of people that I've talked to think that this is just going to be, you know, a dominant performance by Conor McGregor. I still think, though, that Dustin has a legit chance. I'm giving him more of a chance than a lot of people are. What do you make of this fight, Mike? Really, really interesting fight. And one that I've been wanting to see for a long time. I've been kind of beating the drum for Dustin to get this rematch for a long time. I think there's moments in the past where the timing for it made sense. It didn't materialize and we're finally getting it now. I think really at a perfect moment, 
Um, I'm sure you saw Conor McGregor saying today in the countdown special that he's going to knock out Dustin Poirier in 60 seconds within the first 60 seconds, which is a very bold claim, but not entirely unrealistic. I think if Conor does win this fight, it's going to be another early knockout and that's going to be the most challenging point of the fight for Dustin Poirier to get through. Uh, he obviously knows what happened. We all saw what happened a long time ago, but that was six plus years ago completely different man, completely different fighter, completely different weight class between these guys. So I think Dustin has come a really long way for kind of comparing who's made the bigger progressions. Just looking at the fights, you have to say Dustin, but there is Absolutely. this relative unknown with Conor McGregor. I mean, we've seen him once in the last two plus years in the UFC against Cowboy Cerrone. The fight lasted you know, 40 or so seconds. What can you really take against that, against a cowboy that, you know, was coming off two rough knockout losses, has been on a downward swing? But I think if you kind of look at cowboy at this stage of his career, Connor did exactly what he needed to do and should do against a cowboy at this stage in his career. So yeah. that's very promising. Um, man, there's just so many factors. Like, I don't know how to pick who's going to win this fight, but I do feel pretty confident that if we do see it end early, Conor McGregor's hand will be getting raised. If we see it go into the later rounds to a decision, I think Dustin Poirier will be the one who wins. Now, my, as someone that, you know, works in the world of mixed martial arts, what do you think is the end game for Conor right now? Because in my opinion, it's not money. You know, the guy has a lot of it. He's made a lot of it. What do you what do you think is his desire to keep going into the into the UFC and further along in his career? I think it's legacy, which has been for a long time. I mean, you're absolutely right. There's <clears throat> money is not the motivator for him. I mean, it might be to a slight degree, but not as much as it used to be. I mean, this guy's made tons of money through obviously his Floyd Mayweather fight, uh, his UFC fights, and then you know he's going to be selling his proper twelve whiskey brand at some point down the line for probably a billion dollars. So yeah. this guy has been making himself some incredible business decisions, incredible money. <clears throat> so I think for him, at this point, he wants to wash away kind of the negative image that he gave himself and maybe I think a lot of us feel Conor McGregor hasn't despite being a champion in two weight classes despite having the quickest title fight knockout in UFC history being the biggest superstar we've ever seen in MMA it almost feels like he hasn't completely fulfilled his potential which is crazy like there's more to give with this guy uh, I think for him obviously in perfect world he would like to get that Habib rematch we'll see if Habib's there if Dana White can convince him to do another fight that's a whole other discussion about whether or not Dana is going to be able to do that. But I think Connor wants to be the champion again. And I think if he wins this fight, that is definitely within eyesight. I mean, if the belt is available, if Habib's gone, I think if Connor wins here, you put him into that title fight, whether it's against Gaethje or Charles Oliveira or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I think he is motivated by greatness, by being a champion once again and just proving to all the people who said maybe he's fallen off or he's not completely focused or whatever the case may be, uh, proving those people wrong. Now, for Dustin, what does a win for Dustin do for him uh, for, for that fight? I think it, kind of as I said earlier, it maybe shuts up the people that say he can't win the big one. I mean, he has to some degree, he obviously beat Max Holloway. He beat Justin Gaethje. He had that really, really incredible run that got him that interim lightweight title, but the Habib fight did not go well for him. Obviously the first McGregor fight did not go well for him. He lost that like random spot to Michael Johnson in that main event, which you know is still kind of a bizarre loss to me, but kind of the perfect, perfect depiction of Michael Johnson's career. Cause he just has these like crazy random wins over like some of the biggest names along the way. But 
nevertheless, um, yeah, I think for Dustin, like this guy wants to be a champion again. I've known Dustin Poirier for a very long time, and I do actually consider him a friend. And I know how much this sport means to him and how much being the greatest. And not only that, having a oh, sorry. Um, and how much this platform means to him to not only do good things for himself in his own career, but do things for his community. Obviously, he's one of the most charitable people in the entire game. And I think Amazing for him, person. he just wants to elevate his greatness. Definitely. Uh, you know, I'm definitely pulling for Dustin. I really hope, you know, we can see something like that. You know, I, phenomenal person. You can definitely see it. And a family person, how could you not root for him? So, you know, very excited for this fight, regardless Whoever wins is going to obviously deserve it in that sense. Uh, what do you what do you make of the Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker fight? It's interesting. I think with it's a little bit of a disappointment in some degree. I mean, it's kind of it's a great fight on paper, like it's a plus. But if you look at the Michael Chandler trajectory and wh how this all came together, I mean, we thought there was a potential we'd be seeing him in a title fight against Habib yeah. or Gaethje, like right off the bat. And then after that, there's talk of oh, maybe he'll fight Poirier, maybe he'll fight. Ferguson, yeah. maybe he'll fight Gaethje. And then those are like the absolute biggest names in the division. And Charles Oliveira's name was even thrown out there by Dana White. So Dan Hooker, obviously a great fighter, a top, you know, six, seven lightweight, whatever he's ranked right now in the UFC's rankings. Yeah. But if you look at him compared to those other like marquee, marquee names at lightweight, he's just a slight rung above that. And I think a lot of people are expecting Michael Chandler to come in and fight one of those guys right off the bat. So uh, in that sense, maybe not the one, the fight we were expecting, but still a sensational fight. I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. I'm curious to see what Michael Chandler's strategy is going to be here because Dan Hooker is a guy who can finish a damn fight, man. Like he is one of the most devastating finishers in this lightweight division. And I think Michael Chandler's got to be very, very careful in these first two rounds. And I'm curious to see if he goes to a wrestling and grappling heavy strategy in this fight, just to maybe take away some of the finish threat of Dan Hooker early on. And if he can, you know, it might not be super entertaining, but if he can grind out like a round or two using his wrestling and clinch work, and then maybe Dan Hooker gives us a late push or something like that. And it ends up being like a 29, 28 Michael Chandler. I think that's possibly a really realistic way this fight unfolds, but uh, it's a good introductory to Michael Chandler. If he goes in there and wipes the floor with Dan Hooker, I think it's going to put him in a real good position to maybe get a title fight or fight one of those <clears throat> one, two, three ranked guys. Uh, for Dan Hooker, I mean, uh, I think he needs to win here as well if he wants to prove that he's like a title-ready guy because he obviously had that loss to Poirier where he started really strong. It seemed like that was you know, going to be his moment, and then he allowed Poirier to flip the script on him and just take over the fight and obviously get the win there. So, yeah, if Dan Hooker, I think, wants to be a – in a title fight, be a champion. This one is a must. Yeah, very interesting matchup. I think uh, Dan Hooker is, is a great fighter, and I feel like he can put up a fight. It's going to be very interesting how Chandler handles that and to see if it really becomes a grapple a grapple war in that matchup. I think uh, mm -hmm. Michael Chandler gets should get this win. Uh, obviously, no disrespect to Dan Hooker. Phenomenal fighter. Very exciting to watch this one. Is there another fight uh, you're looking forward to uh, in during your uh, fight island time? Amanda Ribas, for sure, against uh, Marina Rodriguez. I think Mar Amanda Ribas has star potential, obviously yeah. <laughs> unlimited charisma. She might be the happiest person I've ever met in my entire life. But, yeah, I think she's someone the UFC is grooming 
to be a, a big star for them. Uh, she is massive for the strawweight division, very well-rounded. Marina Rodriguez and a fellow Brazilian to her is a really tough test in this fight. And if Amanda can look as impressive in this one as she has her previous UFC fights, obviously coming off a win over Paige Van Zandt at the last Fight Island, um, the sky's the limit for her. I do think she's a future champion. I think she would be a tough matchup for any of the people in that top four, you know, Zhang Wally, Carlos Barza, Rose Namajunas, et cetera. I think, uh, yeah, Amanda Rivas is a one to watch, and she's even said it herself. Her goal is to steal the star in the spotlight off a conor mcgregor fight card and if you are trying to position someone to blow up the ufc did a great job booking her on a conor mcgregor undercard because a lot of people who probably don't know who she is quite yet will be watching this event and if she can give a really strong effort i think she's gonna her momentum is just gonna skyrocket awesome real quick i, I know we gotta wrap it up uh mike is there a fight another fight that's not in this fight island edition that you're looking forward to in 2021 Ooh, uh, like something that's booked already or just something yes, I kind of hope so, to happen? Something that's booked, something you're hoping, you know, so, something that you want to see, that you're just excited, absolutely excited to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think John Jones making his heavyweight debut is going to be one of the big storylines of 2021. I don't know who it's going to be against, whether it'll be Stipe or Francis Ngannou. That's a great rematch that's going to happen in itself. But yeah, I think we're, I've been waiting to see John Jones at heavyweight for a very, very, very long time. And it seems like he's doing all the right things to make it happen. Like, all you know, there's all this talk of, oh, like, is he going to go back down and fight Izzy if Izzy beats Jan Blachowicz in March? Yeah. But from all I've seen from John Jones, his interviews, his training, all that stuff, he is committed to the heavyweight move. He's taking all the time he needs to put on the weight properly, to bulk up, you know, keep his, maintain his cardio, give his strength and everything that's appropriate for heavyweight. And that's not something he can just snap his fingers and take away and go back down to 205. He's indicated himself he's never going to fight at 205 again. So whenever John Jones makes his heavyweight debut, really looking forward to that. And then just a couple others, obviously, uh, if they can get Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington in there, I think that's oh, that a really, really sick. fascinating fight. Yeah. yeah, that'd be very, that'd be very, very sick. Awesome, Mike. Well, thank you for your time. I definitely appreciate it. I know you're very busy out there, so thanks for coming on. Is there anything you want to let the audience know before we sign off? No, man, just obviously uh, we're over here. We're going to have coverage on MMAJunkie.com for the coming two weeks. John Morgan is here with me as well. So there's going to be you know, media days, weigh-ins, press con a press conference for Connor and Dustin. I don't know exactly what day that's going to be. I think the Wednesday or Thursday of fight week. So, yeah, lots of good stuff coming. Obviously, frequent MMAJunkie.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Mike Bond MMA, uh, first and last name MMA. And, yeah, man, it's appreciate you having me on. This is a great chat. Thank you for your time. I'm going to actually have the link to all those accounts, the link to the description below this video. Thanks once again, Mike. Appreciate the time. Uh, and to all the audience, I appreciate your time. I'll catch you later, guys. Goodbye.